0: Well, good evening, my friends. We are back in action after a long break. Are y'all did y'all miss Wednesday night Bible study? It's been about it's been about 3 weeks or so, I think. Uh, the way the calendar fell this year, um, we just uh, whenever whenever the calendar falls and, and the holidays are on the weekend, we get we get extra days the following week or we that's the way the bylaws are written. We take extra days whenever we want to, and typically we do them the following week, and so it worked out really well, we got, we got a, you know, a good bit of time off, and got to spend time with our families and stuff like that when we weren't sick, amen, you know? So, um, but it's good to, be, good to be back, good to be back in the church. Uh, I think what I'm gonna do right quick is uh, do announcements um, so everybody can know what's going on here. Um, first of all, there was a young lady that stopped by the church that is in need of childcare for her three-year-old son. Her mother was keeping uh, the, the child, and she died in December from COVID. So if you know anyone, if you or someone you know is looking for a childcare or nanny type job, talk to Carol Tomlinson and she can give you the details. Okay? So if you know anybody, just let, let Carol know. Also, if anyone is getting rid of a stove or knows of a repairman, Please let Tammy Nelson know. If you're getting rid of a stove or you know a repairman, let her know. I right, other, other things that we need to talk about. There is a wonderful women's retreat that is scheduled for February the 2nd and the 3rd. Um, this has been, this, this speaker, Rita, Rita Sweat, and her last name is hilarious, okay, but it's Sweat, just like Sweat, Okay. We we found her when we were in Columbus, and she is probably one of the most highly sought after uh, women speak women's ministry speakers. That that I mean, they had to book this like like middle of the year last year because she's she's booked so far out. Now she is one of the few that is actually out there that in women's ministry that actually like is biblical in her approach. And I don't mean to be ugly about that, okay? But I've been at this long enough to know. Most women's ministry stuff out there is, is pseudo-biblical at best, okay? And if you wanna, know, you wanna know more about what I'm talking about, just come talk to me and I'll tell you, okay? I mean, I'm not going to all that right now. But she is phenomenal. So let me just um, encourage you to be a part of that, ladies, if you wanna be. She does these caricatures of women in the scripture. I don't know who she's planning on doing when she comes this time, but, um, but she's great. Uh, she, she, uh, her husband is a pastor. And I think they're out of, uh, they were north of us in Columbus. I can't remember the city that was north of us, but he pastored the church. It was about 20 miles north of us. So uh, just please remember that. That's coming very soon. It's two days, uh, February the 2nd and then February the 3rd. I think the 2nd, that's got to be a Friday night, uh, starts at 6.30, and then the next morning it starts at 10. So that's Rita Sweat, ladies. Uh, Men's breakfast is Saturday, January the 27th from 9 to 10.30. We will have special guest Scott Horde will be with us that morning and we'll have some other, we're going to have some planning, we're going to do some planning as well that morning for the year. Uh, Please be in prayer for us as we go on the uh, student ministry ski trip that starts this Friday. There's about 30 of us or so uh, going to Indiana uh, to go to Perfect North on the first ski trip the church has had in years. And so uh, I'm taking my whole bunch and so it's gonna be, gonna be wild. So y'all please, and I'm, I'm serious, y'all pray for me. I've never snow skied before, okay? I know nothing about it. Water is no problem. I've never done snow, so. I, well, and that's what I've been told, it ain't nothing like water skiing, so that just goes out the window. They have what? Oh, a bunny slope, is that like the, 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 ch- the child's area? Okay, that's where I'll start. Um, then we have Discover, Discover Parkway is going to be on January the 28th at five. So if you know somebody that wants to come to Discover Parkway, be sure to encourage them to sign up to be there that night. Remember, Discover Parkway is kind of the, not everybody, I mean, I mean, we try to get everybody to go through it, but some people join kind of in the middle of them, so it's fine. But Discover Parkway is just a way for guests to kind of get to know me, to get to know, Um, the other staff members um, ask questions. We serve them a meal and then have like about a 20 or 30 minute talk and they get a little gift bag so they can, with our bylaws and constitution and stuff like that, so they understand who we are. Um, Typically, Discover Parkway is basically designed to, 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 to give them enough to help them determine, yes, I think I do wanna move forward with this church or you know what, these Southern Baptists are crazy. I'm gonna go somewhere else. That's what that's for. So that's Discover Parkway. Uh, the Valentine Banquet, who's excited about that? That wasn't too encouraging. Who's excited about the Valentine Banquet? Okay. All right, that's better. That's better. Because um, this year, Dick is going to let me do the Elvis Presley impersonation. I am just kidding. Dick is doing that. If he does it, I don't know. That's up, that's up to them. But the Valentine Banquet is on February 10th. I, I, I don't know. I know we've got to have more information on that, but I just want to get that in your mind so you can be thinking about it. And then finally, as you know, we have taken the Follow Me ministry with Brother Smith that's been leading us, and we have postponed that just a little while, uh, just a few weeks until the first of March. He, he is helping, as you know, uh, he's a retired pastor, uh, and he just kind of floats around and helps other churches. By the way, and just, I'm just gonna go ahead and address the elephant in the room. There, there, there is like this this nonstop, we get this nonstop um, question from different pockets in the church. Everybody thinks, you know, we're trying to bring Shelby Smith on staff here. Let, can I just like load up a 12-gauge shotgun and, and throw the clay pigeon, somebody clo- throw the clay pigeon up in there, somebody. Boom, okay. He ain't coming here to be on staff, okay. He does, and, 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 and I mean, he would be great, but when we first started talking about this, talking about him doing Follow Me, he made one thing very clear. He's retired and he doesn't want another staff position at a church. So everybody on live feed, everybody here tonight, tell all your friends, tell all your neighbors, Shelby Smith has no interest coming here, we are not hiring him to be on staff. Can I get an amen? Okay, I don't know where that got started. I have no idea where that got started. But in Baptist churches, you would be amazed the kind of stories that get started, amen? It's just just amazing, okay? Okay, Um, so, now this all happened in the same, just tell you how God works. This, this all happened like, like within a, a four hour period, I think Monday maybe, or no, I don't remember when it happened, but anyway, as soon as I got off the phone with Shelby Smith, Bill Lunders comes in my office and, and he was saying he had the burn to do an Experiencing God Bible study and so he's gonna start that this coming Sunday afternoon from 4 to 6, right after, it'll be back there in the, in the multipurpose room, and uh, he's gonna do that for seven weeks, so, so from this Sunday until the end of February, Bill Lunders is gonna be leading these, who, who here's ever heard of Experiencing God, raise your hand, okay. Experiencing God came out, I believe in the early 90s by a guy named, and gosh, just as soon as I start talking about it, I forget the other guy's name, He he's he's a wonderful. Say it again. I don't know that one. That's not the name I was thinking of. Um, no, no, it's. Um, anyway, I'll think about it. But it's 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 wonderful. I mean, it literally kind of started off, kind of a revival in Protestant circles. Uh, back in, in the early 90s. I mean, I specifically remember, remember uh, how popular that Bible study was and how it, how it you know, changed people's lives. So, anyway, he'll be doing that. So, if you're interested in that, talk to Bill and let him know that you want to come, and that'll be back there. I don't think there's any cost to it at all, uh, as far as I know, uh, but back there in the multipurpose room, four to six on Sundays. All right, I think that's it. Oh, let's, let's do a health report right quick. I'm having to do this from memory. I don't have anything written down. Um, Brenda Rigsby um, is, was still in ICU as of 10 o'clock this morning, but she was doing better. She became dehydrated, um, and she, they had to put her on dialysis to try to get her body caught back up. There were some meds I think she was on that was causing a problem with her, with her kidneys. So she's, do, she's, doing, she's, she's doing better. Joanne Watson, I was told, had to go back into ICU uh, for, for, for just as a precaution for, some, for something else. Some of her numbers got low or something, and that, that's all I remember about that. Um, any other reports that we need to mention tonight about anybody right quick? Anybody? Yes, yes, Mr. Mann, yes. Okay. Okay. So he fell. Everybody wants to know why. We don't really know why. Um, w- w- there was somebody said that maybe he had a minister. We we we, just, we don't know why. He he just fell outside the church. Do, do we know why? Does anybody know? We don't know why, do we? Okay. So, but he's okay. And they were talking that he had a, a crack somewhere. There there was a there was a, a fracture somewhere, and I, I haven't heard if they determined where that was. So. And y'all uh, y'all y'all turn around and welcome the first lady back there. Make her feel real welcome. She doesn't, yeah, Angie, you know, she serves most of the time ever since we've been in ministry. She's, she's run the full gamut, right, honey? Nursery, women's ministry, student ministry, food ministry, hospitality ministry, keep the pastor straight ministry. She's just about to, so, so seeing her actually sitting in a Wednesday night Bible study is kind of a rarity. So she's also my biggest critic, Amen. <laughs> So she'll, after the Bible study, she'll say, so when you were talking about so-and-so, you said so-and-so. That was confusing. I could see how that could maybe cause you some problems. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, honey, thank you. But just know, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. She's gonna let me know if I'm getting out of line, okay? You don't have to worry about that. She's worse than any deacon's ever been, amen? <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> in fact, she's really a secret deaconess floating around in the back somewhere, you know? All right, Kingdom of the Cults, I'm just trying, just being funny, just trying to lighten the mood a little bit. All right, we've been talking about Kingdom of the Cults for a while, and um, so what have we done so far? We've done Jehovah Witnesses, right? <clears throat> so I'm sure they hate our guts now, and uh, then we talked about, what we talked about after the Jehovah Witnesses? The Mormons, and who was after them? Islam, yes, did y'all enjoy Asim or what? Was that not wonderful? Asim is just so knowledgeable and so, so charitable with his time, I appreciate him so much. Um, I tell you what, I, I had, a, I had, a, I had a, a, a fuller, a more full understanding of Islam than I ever have. And that, that's one of the best things about doing these kind of studies. If there was loose ends in your mind that you didn't understand, these types of studies should, should square it all the way for you. You know, so if you had a soft spot for Islam, you should no longer have a soft spot, right? Other than the fact that you want them to be saved. That's the soft spot, okay. All right, well, here we go. We're going into one of the most controversial, (sighs) silly, ridiculous, uh, I, I mean, I just, I cannot even believe that this captivated America and the world like it has. The fact that this book and this teaching caught on so fast and so broad blows my mind no, knowing what this contains. Now I can tell you this, I, I know, I've never read the book, but I remember when it came out because there were Baptist people in my hometown talking about this book. And I remember seeing it on uh, bookshelves. Angie remembers, we, we talked about this when she was young. She remembered it was at a family member's house or something and picked it up and looked at it. So, so when you hear Scientology, there's one name that needs to echo in your mind, and that name is L. Ron Hubbard. This entire false religion is completely anchored around him and this work called Dianetics. Uh, I I was not aware of that until I read this. I thought there was other people that were involved in it, but but he he is the primary one. Uh, Here's a quote out of some of his writings. This is actually words he said. Writing for a penny a word is ridiculous. I've never really thought about that, a penny a word. If a man really wanted to make a million dollars, the best way would it be to do what? Start his own religion. As, I mean, you know, I guess he's got a point. But uh, anyway, now who knows who that is? No one. You mean to tell me I'm the only one? Who? Yes, who said Karen Black? Who said it first? Okay, we've got some horror movie fans out there. Karen Black was, was uh, from the 60s and the 70s. She was a, m- more of a, screen, they call them scream queens. They're like these horror movies and stuff. Um, she's dead now, but um, she's re- really pretty, really famous actress. I don't know much about her personally, but um, one of the most terrifying shows I remember seeing as a child had her in it. And that's why I remember the babysitters the night mom and dad went out and they let us watch this horrifying movie, 11 o'clock at night, and I had nightmares for like a month. Yeah, do y'all remember the African Zuni doll? Who remembers that horror movie? The Trilogy of Terror. I mean, that, that show was horrifying to me. Anyway, that's Karen Black. Who knows who that is? Priscilla Presley. Priscilla Bowie was her maiden name. That's Priscilla. Now, this, you probably don't know who she is. Uh, she was, um, Angie, what, what was she in? The... That that 70s show. She was kind of the tall, red-headed girl that, that that was in that show. I don't know, I don't remember her name. Her name was in the literature, but I don't remember her name now. Now somebody asked if he was coming to the Bible study tonight, okay? <laughs> yes, he is, and there he is, right? Now I'm envious of that guy because he's about ten years older than me and looks about twenty years younger than me. So that's why I hate him. Yeah. There he is. Just give me time, Dick. I'm going to get there, man. Just give me time, dude. Yes, sir. <laughs> man, this is way too late for that. I don't have enough hair, man, for that. It's way too late. There's John Travolta and huh? I can pay for hair. You know, John Travolta looks like he's got a weave going on up there or something, you know. Now, now I was you know, Tom, Tom didn't really disappoint. Me. I wouldn't. I'm not. I haven't been a big Tom Cruise like like fan. Am I, Angie? I'm not a Tom Cruise fan. Am I? Don't do that. Am I? Okay. But now Travolta. I, I've loved Travolta uh, ever since Greece. And what else was Travolta in that was good? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Saturday Night Fever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you can tell by the way I use my walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's it. Yeah. So when I. Yes. Yes, yes, man. Yes. Welcome back, Cotter. I loved him and welcome back, Cotter. When I heard Travolta was Christian, was uh, Scientology, I mean, it just like broke my heart. I'm like, surely John Travolta knows better, you know? But obviously not. So what you see here is, is that this, for some reason, this, this Dianetics, this, this Scientology appeals to the Hollywood elite people. Who knows why? Maybe their life is not exciting enough and they need more excitement. I, I, I don't know what it is but that's the main people that have been drawn. I didn't put all the names in the book that were only just the ones that I thought you may kind of know who they were. So that's, that's who it draws. Now let's do some quick facts on Scientology. So Scientology and, and I, yes sir that's very Very, yeah. This guy, this guy, L. Ron Hubbard was a was a fiction writer, a very uh, well known fiction writer, and then he wrote this dianetics book. And so I think he kind of already had some notoriety from writing fiction books. Then when he wrote dianetics, he hit his base, and then they then it expanded from there. Uh, It's kind of what Jim was hitting at. Hitting at. So some quick facts on Scientology, and I'll I'll tell you right now. this stuff, y'all, it, it, it absolutely makes no sense whatsoever. I mean, and, and I'm, I'm one of these guys, I've always been somebody that always gave somebody the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I will hear anybody out. I will hear them out. And as believers, I mean, we, we, need, to be, we need to be able to listen to what somebody says and, and just hear them out and then, and then be willing to, to tell them where they're wrong and, and that kind of thing. And this stuff is just... I mean, I, I, after I studied it, I'm just like, I can't believe anybody believes this. So Scientology teaches that the Bible is a byproduct of the Hindu scriptures. That's enough to make you want to vomit right there, okay? God or gods may exist, but the individual must decide for himself. I mean, duh, right? Christ is a legend that preexisted Earth life on other planets that almost sounds Mormonism a little bit, and was implanted into humans on earth. Jesus was just a shade above clear, and don't, don't let that confuse you. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. One of the big things that Scientologists believe is that through your life, I'll just give just a little rabbit on this, just so you know what he means by that. They believe that all through your life, you have all of these different types of of confusing, maybe combative, conflictive experiences that, that kind of hold you back from realizing your whole, your whole potential as a human. And so they have this process that, that we'll learn about. We should get there tonight. They have this process that they go through with an auditor and an in And the auditor hooks you up to this machine and asks you a series of questions. And when that, when that meter on that thing moves around, If if the meter moves, you're not clear. Kind of like a lie detector test. But guess what never stops moving? So you're really never clear, okay? But that's what he means. So Jesus, he's saying, was just a shade above clear. So if Jesus was hooked up to the machine, the needle would just barely move, I guess. I don't know. Uh, And was no greater than Buddha or Moses. Reincarnation sufficiently explains man's existence, but Scientology is the freedom from reincarnation. Man is basically good. Does the Bible teach that? What is man? Different levels of evil, but most definitely evil and selfish, for sure. Um, and And in his evolution... He will finally become godlike, being known as homo novice. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. In fact, I think he read all of them and just kind of mixed them up in a blender is what I think he did. Scientology sues. Guess what Scientology has done more than just about any religion in North America? Sued people just sued people right and left. It's, it's wild. The Church of Scientology is the most litigious religion in the history of churches founded in the United States. They have been the plaintiffs in an enormous number of lawsuits compared with most churches and religions. A few of their court battles have benefited others' rights. In that regard, Scientology's legal claims have occasionally helped Stay the erosion of religious liberty, but obviously not for the benefit of orthodoxy. So, I mean, that's where, that's where it's difficult, religious liberty and orthodoxy. I mean, that, that, that's tough. That's a, that's a tough, tight walk to, to, to walk. On the other hand, critics of Scientology allege that many of their lawsuits are malicious vendettas against ex-members and perceived enemies of the church, this aggressive conduct has produced the counterproductive effect of souring outsiders' view of Scientology. And if you remember, I don't remember all the details, but I do remember <clears throat> that Tom Cruise, the, the most recent marriage, the tall, the, when, he, when, I, when that thing went crazy about him jumping up on the couch, on the was it Oprah, where all that happened? And then they got married, and then later, uh, I think she wanted out because Scientology was so weird, and then they kind of persecuted her. I mean, it, it was a long, you can Google it, it was a long, drawn-out deal Uh, where they kind of went after her. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Okay, Keith Urban, wow, okay. All right, so several articles, both pro and con, have been written about Scientology's religious nature, and in our observation, it has all the marks of a religion. It has its own set of scripture, it holds a worldview, and it seeks spiritual enlightenment. Enlightenment. By biblical standards, we justifiably call it a false religion. We define any religion as false whenever and wherever it departs from the biblical God and his plan of salvation as understood and proclaimed by the historical Orthodox Christian church. Scientology is positively a religion sincerely followed by numerous people, but it is a false religion by biblical standards." And, and I, I like to point this out every now and then, just because I know that we have all been indoctrinated into the American, we cannot judge anyone or anything. But when it comes to these types of things, when it comes to the faith, when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to the truth, we as Christians have, have no choice, no choice but to call something false and to call something true. And I know that makes us uncomfortable and I know the the whole spirit of the age and the whole spirit in the marketplace is, no, we're not supposed to do that, that's wrong. It is not wrong, it is not wrong. We make judgments every day and we have to make judgments on these types of things. Okay. We must categorically separate denial of rights from proper examination and analysis by Scripture. Jesus also rebuked false teachers of his day without denying their freedom to believe what is wrong, and that is absolutely true. They can believe what is wrong. Consider his woes to the Pharisees as an example. Religions that deny Christ's deity, atonement, resurrection, and grace lead to an eternal hell and separation from God. And that is the message we have to be, we have to consistently preach week in and week out to people that believe anything else other than Jesus is the only way to God. Because we are, we have this, uh, the mandate, the watchman mandate, right, from Ezekiel. And that is, is that if if we know somebody believes something wrong, we are mandated by God to tell them the truth. Otherwise, when they die and go to hell, the Bible says their blood is where? On our hands, okay? Now, if you tell them if you tell them and they reject it, you're fine. You're still, because you've told them, if you tell them and they accept it, then you've won, then you've won them for God. So it's a, it's, it's, it's a, the Bible doesn't give you a whole lot of wiggle room. Uh, now this is really interesting. Hubbard believed that he was the second Buddha. How do you like that? Interesting, the Dianetics movement was once seen as a 1950s fad which some commentators thought would fade away as many fads do. Other writers perceive Dianetics as a cult from the beginning. Under our earlier theological definition of cultism, the Church of Scientology is a non-Christian cult. Hubbard believed that he was the fulfillment of a 2,500-year-old Buddhist prediction about the Maitreya, a second Buddha, He sealed this sentiment with his book, The Hymn of Asia, where it predicted a red-haired or golden-haired Maitreya would arise in the West to complete the job Buddha began. So he is a self-proclaimed Messiah. Y'all know not to follow self-proclaimed Messiahs, right? Does everybody know that? you don't follow self-proclaimed messiahs, okay. As Scientology Magazine Advanced promoted Hubbard as the Buddhist Maitreya and unwittingly labeled themselves as a cult by stating in Buddhist lands, Mattia became a great favorite. Various cults devoted to him arose. The Maitreya cult exists in their church where they are devoted to L. Ron Hubbard as the figurehead. Hubbard embraced devotion to himself in the Hymn of Asia. Everywhere you are, I can be addressed, but in our temples best, address me, and you address Lord Buddha, address Lord Buddha, and you then address Matea. Can you believe this? I think I'm gonna write some hymns and have y'all worship me on Sunday. What do you think about that? You like that idea? I don't think I would be the pastor here very long if I mandated that. I hope to the Lord Jesus, I would not be the pastor here very long if I did that. Hopefully you've got enough guts to say, hey dude, You're out of your mind, sorry. We're gonna let Sam preach for a while, right Sam, amen? All right, there he is, that's a young picture. That is L. Ron Hubbard. What do you think he was saying right then? I am the Buddha, I am the next Buddha. There's an older picture of him. Now you can go on YouTube and there's a good interview after reading the comments and doing some follow-up research, I did figure out that it was, a, it was an interview that was done in Zimbabwe, I think, and um, the whole thing was rehearsed, and so it really wasn't challenging. They kind of had the talking points all worked out, and he had his, his answers were kind of uh, pre-written. Uh, they really, through reading the book, I, I don't remember, there hasn't been a lot of public challenges in public forums to his teachings that I I remember seeing, Uh, there was one situation where supposedly this one lady was the first person that was ever determined to be clear. And they had this big meeting in California where 5,000 people came. And so if you're clear, what that means is is that you can remember all of your memories perfectly from the time you were born. You should be able to recall every memory for your whole life on the spot. Well, somebody from the crowd, L. Ron Hubbard had been interviewing her and he turned that way and somebody from the crowd yelled out, what color is this tie? And guess what she couldn't tell him? The color of the tie was she'd just been standing in front of her all this time. So it's just nuts. The founder of Scientology, Lafayette Ronald Hubbard, affectionately called Ron, was born on March the 13th, 1911 in Tilden, Nebraska. So he's a Nebraska boy. You wouldn't think something like that would come out of Nebraska, right? You wouldn't think something, you know what I mean? Come on now. <laughs> you kicked him out, okay. Hubbard, a popular science fiction writer of the 1930s and 40s, <clears throat> made a career change by allegedly announcing at a New Jersey science fiction convention, writing for a penny a word is ridiculous. If a man really wanted to make a million dollars, the best way would be to start his own religion. So he does. He does. The following year in May 1950, Hubbard released Dianetics, a modern science of mental health, which has become an entry-level reading for converts to Scientology. Hubbard's overnight success with Dianetics virtually gave him a new career in writing self-help and religious books. His first book on Scientology was published in 1951, and the Church of Scientology was first incorporated in Canada, New Jersey on December the 22nd, 1953. So, I mean, it really caught fire fast. Building a global religion of six million adherents before he died was no small victory uh, for him whose abilities should not be underestimated. His claim to fame as a writer includes 15 million published words in science fiction, essays, and articles. He supersedes this with 25 million published words for Scientology. That's a lot. That that guy must have been a, he must have wrote all the time. Mr. H- Mr. Hubbard's publishing achievements are notable, but his background betrays biblical Christian values, as we will see. He was raised on a small ranch near Helena, Montana. It gets worse. He's in Nebraska, then Montana, my goodness, with four hometown churches, but his later cynicism of Christianity results from his churchless upbringing. So what does that tell you how important it is in those formative years to get them the what? The truth of the gospel, right? I mean, you, you, you will fall susceptible to anything. I mean, it, you know, just because you teach them doesn't mean they're gonna hang on to it their whole life. I mean, that, it is possible for them to leave it. We see that happen. But at least you gave it to them, and they got it. <clears throat> His father served a, uh, served a career in the U.S. Navy, which allegedly afforded uh, Hubbard frequent travel abroad. As an overachiever, and here's one, something that, you know, is extra interesting. He was also one of the youngest Eagle Scouts in the history of the Boy Scouts of America. So, academic claims are, as you can imagine, um, exaggerated uh, and have been proven pretty much false. And this is his own words. uh, In all of his writings, he does in the foreword, he does a little biography about who he is and the educational stuff that he's accomplished and all that. So he says he traveled extensively in Asia as a young man. He studied science and mathematics at GW University, graduating from Columbian College. He attended Princeton University and Sequoia University. He was crippled and blind at the end of World War II. He resumed his studies of philosophy and by his discoveries recovered so fully that he was reclassified in 1949 for full combat duty. It was a matter of medical record that he has been twice pronounced dead. And then in 1950, he was given a perfect score on mental and physical fitness reports. Now, these are his words in his book, okay? You understand what I'm saying? Unsubstantiated claims. I mean, you you can write a book and claim anything you want to. You realize that, right? You can do that. But just be ready when people get a hold of it and begin to try to verify what you've written and they can't verify anything, then they're gonna go to, Amazon reviews or Google reviews and they're just gonna rip you apart because none of it's true, all right? <clears throat> Several competent writers have gathered the contradictory evidence that challenges Hubbard's exaggerated, is that Vita? Is that what that is? None are so thoroughly damaging to his credentials as Russell Miller's barefaced Messiah, the true story of L. Ron Hubbard and former Scientologist Bent Corridan's L. Ron Hubbard Messiah or Madman. (laughs) I, I, I understand why he had that title. Miller showed that Hubbard attended high school in America while he was claiming to have been traveling in Asia. His medical records deny that he was crippled, blinded, or wounded in World War II, let alone pronounced dead twice. Bent Corridan, formerly head of one of the most successful Scientology missions, worked with court transcripts, affidavits, and firsthand testimonies to lay to rest many of L. Ron Hubbard's claims. So they were proven to be false. His writing ability, uh, Hubbard's academic degrees have come under question since Sequoia University, from which he claimed his doctorate degree, was discovered to be an unrecognized diploma mill. Y'all know what that is, right? Uh, uh, Online MBAs, you know what I mean? Located in a two-story house in Los Angeles, it was closed down in 58 by an active California legislature. Uh, you know, they, they bust those things right regularly in the United States. There's these online places where you can pay them $500, and they, they make you a real nice diploma like you've got an MBA or a doctoral degree from somewhere, and that's why you have to check on these credentials and be sure they're accurate. I mean, there's all kind of fraud going on today, all kind of fraud. The success of Hubbard's writing skills cannot be argued. The manuscript for Dianetics, 180,000 words, was supposedly completed in three weeks' time. Those who knew him said he could type 90 words per minute with the old two-finger method. What is that? This is that. That is that. What that is? Okay, 90 words. That, that, <laughs> I mean, that's that's smoking doing. I mean, that's that's smoking doing that. He had an altered typewriter with special keys for often used words such as and, the, and but. So, who knows what all that's about. His character, and again, and again, as we have pointed out multiple times, one of the thing, what what is, what is the primary thing the Bible looks for in an overseer, an elder, and a deacon is supposed to be a man of good what? yes. You don't have to be a dynamic speaker if you're an overseer, elder, bishop, pastor, whatever. You're supposed to be able to to refute uh, false teaching. You're supposed to be able to defend the faith, refute error. But the main thing God is calling in men that lead the church is not some kind of dynamic personality, not some kind of keen business sense, nothing like that. Men... that that you can trust, that are dependable, that don't lie, that don't deceive, that are not in it for dishonest gain, that are there for the gospel and the betterment of the church and the kingdom of God. And what you see in every one of these false religions is the founders were off the rails with character. Tate Russell was nuts, Joseph Smith was nuts, and most of the men that followed them had bad character. Okay. However, conversely speaking, what was the character of Jesus Christ? Perfect. We love you, Jesus. Exactly. <clears throat> this was a bigamous marriage. Oh, well, let me read over. His personal qualifications as a religious leader were everything but saintly. His first two marriages were disastrous. His second wife, Sarah Northrop Hubbard, sued him for divorce on April 23, 1951 in Los Angeles County Superior Court. This was a bigamous marriage for Mr. Hubbard. He pretended to be a bachelor to Miss Northrup, yet he had not divorced his first wife, Margaret Grubb Hubbard. His first marriage was not legally dissolved until the year following his second marriage. By the way, that's illegal. Y'all do realize that, right? That's illegal, okay. I don't know if they, I mean, I don't know if they fine you or enforce that in contemporary society because as we know, any form of accountability for marriage and family is just slowly slipping away. But uh, at one time, they did. His second wife's 1951 divorce allegations contained more than bigamy charges. She claimed, get this now, sleep deprivation. I mean, what is that? We'd like every, was, was he like hovering over his wife and every time she started to slip off into sleep, he woke her up? I mean, what, what is that? That would get me killed in my house, amen? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I would not be alive to do this anymore. You know, I mean, I would be, I would be dead because Angie would kill me. Uh, she claims sleep deprivation, beatings, strangulation, kidnapping of their child, and fleeing to Cuba. I mean, this got Charles Tate Russell all over it, and Ron counseling her to commit suicide if she really loved him. The kidnapping was reported in several newspapers in 1951. So this is the dude that wrote the book that people all, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if the people that bought that book, if they knew his character was like that, would they have listened to a word he said? I wonder. I just wonder. Sarah Northrup had first met Hubbard through a Pasadena-based occult group led by Jack Parsons, a disciple of the late Aleister Crowley, whose alias was The Beast 666. How do you like that? Crowley was a leading Satanist, sorcerer, and a black magician. He founded the Ordo Templi Orientis, which promoted sexual magic. So was this dude evil? And all God's people said, yes, absolutely. So that, that's, that's the lot of people this dude was mingling with. Wasn't like Jesus mingling with him to try to save him. He was mingling with him to try to get something from him. I don't know what in the world I just did there. Hang on just a minute. Good grief, man. I messed this all up. I went way too far back. Sorry about that. Okay, here we go. At its New York headquarters, the group's historical records include letters between Parsons and Crowley that mention Hubbard several times. Northrop was Parsons' girlfriend when they both met L. Ron Hubbard. As Parsons' partner she represented the Babylonian woman in Revelation chapter 17. Before she could fulfill Parsons' plan, Hubbard swept her away in an out-of-state, bigamous marriage, representing himself as a bachelor the entire time, and in Parsons' letters, he blamed Hubbard for taking her from him. So Hubbard stole his girlfriend from one of his proselytes. It's not nice, by the way. That's just not nice, right? It's not, we shouldn't do that. Undercover agent, this guy claimed to be an undercover agent. It just gets better and better, doesn't it? Scientology defends Hubbard's connection to the Parsons black magic cult by stating that he went undercover to infiltrate it on orders of naval intelligence. Where's this guy come up with this? All of a sudden, now he's an undercover agent with naval intelligence. Oh, by the way, I'm an undercover agent with, uh, with the CIA, just implanted here at Parkway Baptist Church to try to you know, break up whatever evil's going on here, just if y'all wondering. Supposedly, several prominent scientists were visiting, visiting Parsons' OTO temple, and Ron's job was to shut it down. Jack Parsons was a noted rocket scientist, but the explanation presented by Hubbard seems far-fetched. It lacks rationalization for why a legitimate undercover agent would soil the operation with a recorded bigamous marriage. In other words, if that was true, if he was really an, an undercover naval investigator, then why would he run off with Parsons' wife and blow the cover of the whole thing. That's, that's what he's saying, and that, that's true. I mean, that, that would, I would think your, your upper folks would say, no, you're not doing that, leave it, leave it alone. No record has ever been produced to prove that Naval Intelligence hired Hubbard for such an operation. That's because they did not do it. Spouse, spy in the last years, all right? Hubbard's third marriage to Mary Sue Whip lasted the rest of his lifetime. That's a great last name, isn't it? I hope she whipped him, don't y'all? I mean, I hope she did. That's a good last name. She captured, now get this now. She's about as controversial as he was. She captured worldwide attention in 1977 as the mastermind behind a sinister covert operation against various levels of the United States government that could rival a spy novel. Hubbard was living in California at the time, but his recluse barriers shielded him from direct connection with the legal activities. I'm, I'm gonna tell you my hunch. I don't know anything about that, but my hunch is he put her up to that. that. That would be my hunch. Hubbard spent his final years in seclusion from the public eye. Top Scientologists isolated him from most family and church members until his death in Creston, California, According to a copy of his death certificate, he succumbed to a cerebral vascular accident on January the 24th, 1986. In their refusal to believe that such a great science of the mind master could die a horrific death, the word dead or died was never used in his eulogy. Instead, the new president of Scientology, David Miscavige, or Miscavige, announced that L. Ron Hubbard decisively discarded the body to move on to the next level of research outside his body. How you like that? Any of y'all want to go be Scientologists? Not me. I'm gonna stick with Jesus. Sticking with him, man. Sticking with him. Dianetics movement. Dianetics means through thought or through the soul. Dianetics. Hubbard promoted Dianetics by publishing three long excerpts of his theory in the periodical Astounding Science Fiction, May 1950, October 1950, and January 51. According to Publishers Weekly, Dianetics sold 55,000 copies in the first two months, and more than 750 Dianetics groups started nationwide. That's, That's wild that it caught on that fast. They advertised its readership a year later as 150,000 people with 2.5 million followers. Diagnetics swept college campuses and blazed through middle class America with a faddish appeal that evolved into a cultic structure. And again, this is, if you remember, the opening uh, introduction. That, that Walter talked about, he said that, that of all the nations in the world, that America was more susceptible to this kind of stuff than anywhere else, and why is that? Because it's a free flow of ideas. It's just a free flow of ideas. I mean, I mean you can come up, you are completely free to come up with any, as, as is evidenced by this guy Hubbard, to come up with any idea that you want to, write it in a book, try to convince people to believe it. And there's no, there's no punishment there. I mean, unless you're hurting people or doing, or doing something illegal or lying to people or taking money from people, there's nothing to stop that. And so America is fertile soil for that. Now, it shouldn't be. We should be pretty smart and, and not fall victim to stuff like that. But that's, that's not the case, as is evidenced by all these false religions that have proliferated all through our country. The glowing benefits of Dianetics seem virtually unlimited as Hubbard promoted his new science of the mind, mankind, according to Hubbard, is basically good. And anybody that knows the Bible should hear that statement and say, huh, ha, huh, ha, ha. Or, you know, have teenagers, amen? And know that that's not true. <clears throat> the basic instinct for all people is survival, or children, I should say, rather. Man's environmental conditions and painful experiences result in failure. If a man changes his circumstances and eliminates pain, then his condition improves. The most important factors for man's survival then are avoiding pain and gaining pleasure. Totally, totally flesh driven. This thing is totally driven in the flesh. Totally man centered, totally flesh centered. The structure of man's mind is simplified by dividing the mind into three main categories, the analytical mind, the reactive mind, and the somatic mind. The analytical mind works like a perfect computer. It never makes a mistake. It is also the eye of a person. Or I guess you would call that, if, it was, if we were talking Freudianism, you'd probably call that the, the ego. Uh, the reactive mind works on a totally stimulus response basis. The reactive mind holds... Mental picture images of past experiences. Now, this is when you when you heard the very beginning talking about someone being clear, remember that? This is, this is where he's getting into the things in the past, these engrams, these these memories that of pain or different things that have happened that supposedly act to you know hold you back or whatever. These engrams, which are apparently the single source of aberrations and psychosomatic ills. Some liken the reactive mind to the subconscious mind. The analytical and reactive minds direct the somatic mind and place solutions into effect on the physical level. And this mind keeps the body regulated and functioning. I mean, I'm lost already. I don't know about y'all. Humanity's problem is that the reactive mind frequently interrupts the analytical mind, okay? The analytical mind, which essentially is the person, could flawlessly run a person's life except for the interference from the reactive mind. It appears that this villain of the analytical mind causes it to shut off. Scientology calls this a moment of unconsciousness though often the body is awake and animated. (laughs) Hubbard explains when the individual is unconscious in full or in part, the reactive mind is cut in in full or in part. When he is fully conscious, his analytical mind is fully in command of the organism. During these unconscious moments, the reactive mind takes in a detailed recording from the sensory organs, and this recording is not a memory, but an image like a motion picture called an engram. Everything said, seen, touched, or sensed is recorded by the reactive mind as the engram, and the reactive mind stores this engram, which works to stimulate the person to react to the stimuli. Y'all getting this so far? Okay. Because I'm not, I, I, I mean, I read it 20 times, I still understand it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's, who's on first? These engrams make man react insanely in society. In fact, they make man mad and efficient and ill. And we would say it's not engrams, but what, what would we say does that? Begins with an S. Sin, yeah, sin, carnality. The solution to the reactive mind interrupting the analytical mind is to rid the reactive mind of all engrams. So once this is accomplished, the person is then called what? Clear, clear. The clear person has no reaction to the same situation because no engram stimulates it. So the goal of Dianetics is to clear the individual of all engrams of his past. At first, Dianetics only dealt with engrams in, in this lifetime. After more probing, Scientologists claim that they carry engrams from past lives. So it's not just the engrams that you have experienced, but the life that you lived previously as an elephant, I, I mean, I don't know. They, they, they also, you also carry, that, carry those around with you, okay? So the auditor, here comes the auditor. So the application of Hubbard's hypothesis is to vanquish the engrams through Dianetic therapy. This is accomplished by an auditor who audits the engram through a form of counseling. Now this sounds really complex, but it's really, really simple and stupid. After Dianetics was published, Hubbard introduced an electronic galvanometer, the e-meter, to help in auditing, So now we have a meter that we can sell. Amen? Amen. The pre-clear, the person not yet clear, holds two tin cans connected by wires to the e-meter while the auditor sits opposite him watching the needle on the e-meter. As the auditor gives commands to the pre-clear, the needle's fluctuation determines if they have detected a possible engram. The auditor tracks the engram by questioning the preclear with the goal of erasing it. That may only be the beginning of the problems for the preclear, though. They may detect other engrams in connection with the first, producing a chain of engrams. It may take years of auditing for a person to become finally clear. you gotta go back, go back, you gotta go back. It's like a chiropractor, right? You gotta go back, you gotta go back. And I'm not, that's just funny. I I, I totally believe chiropractors do, do great work. I just use it as an example. There's your, whatever that thing is. There's your two cans, and there's your little thing there. The the um, so the, the so these two. Th- this is and you can find videos where they actually there's a there's an ex a Scientologist that that walks you through this thing so you can understand what they do. You hold each one of those sensors in your hand. Okay, so. You start, it starts in the right hand and then it flows through your body and then it comes to this one. And then when you, the, the bottom dial is kind of like a calibrator. It calibrates the sensitivity of, of the thing. And then the other one turns the power up. Okay, and then that, that needle over there, as that as the auditor asks you questions, that needle moves, and if that needle moves in a specific place, then you've got an, that's discovered as an engram that they then have to talk you out of. Okay? I mean there's no medicine, it's just the auditor. Yes, Dick? Go right ahead. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Larry, Curly, and Mo very well could have been involved in this. So Hubbard claims that his results. Well, I'll tell you something else. See, I think I brought. Let me look at this right quick. Be sure here. Um, I think I brought it up for you somewhere. Maybe I didn't. Yeah, there it is. There is actually a website on the Scientology website right there. You can go out there and read all about. And this is the this is the next generation. Um, elect. They call it an electropsychometer. Is what they call it now. And uh, this is like the new and improved you know space age looking meter, so it's really I mean they really go all out uh, there see there 's all the e meters there you can you can go click and there there's like like actual interviews and stuff on there you can, you can look at that'd be great, yeah, probably so right. you're right, you can get them on Amazon, put them out there so Hubbard claims that his results are are scientifically valid and are based upon clinical study. Critics, however, renounced it from the start. Publishers Weekly reported that the American Psychological Association initiated the first concerted action against Dianetics at their September 1950 meeting. A resolution adopted unanimously by the organization's 8,000 members said that Hubbard's claims for Dianetics are not supported by empirical evidence of the sort required for the establishment of scientific generalizations, and that's absolutely true. Dr. Morris Fishbeck, a former editor of the Journal of the American Medical Association, went on record warning people about mind-healing cults like Dianetics. Psychologist Eric Fromm aimed his comments at Hubbard's techniques. Dianetics, he said, has no respect for and no understanding of the complexities of personality. Dr. Fromm revealed that Hubbard had saturated Dianetics in oversimplified truths, half-truths, and plain absurdities. One other problem, this is, we're almost done. We're gonna finish right on time. One other problem that seemed to face Hubbard was that no clears could be found. Now, what's a clear? Remember what a clear is? A clear is a person that had been through the e-machine the e and the needle was not moving when the, when the auditor asked them lots of questions, which means they have been cleansed of all their engrams. I'm just horrified that I can even explain that. So. <laughs> <laughs> huh? Huh? Hubbard was never proven clear. No. <laughs> Hubbard was never and they put him on it and, and, and it was never the, the needle always moved. So one other problem that seemed to face Hubbard was there were no clears could be found until February of 1966 when John McMaster was called to the world's first clear or was called the world's first clear. It troubled critics that Hubbard never claimed to be clear himself until some years after Dianetics was published. Still, a little-known story of an earlier clear is found in several newspapers of 1950, and this is, this, is, this is the story I was telling you about earlier. On August the 10th, 1950, Hubbard rented the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles. An estimated crowd of 4,000 came. It was actually more like 8,000, though. There's a paper you can find online of a guy that did a whole lot of independent research, and he said it was, it was more like 8,000. Came to see the world, or I, don't, I, mean, I don't even know what that place will hold came to see the world's first clear, Miss Sonia Bianca, a physics student from Boston, uh, fitting with the Dianetic Theory, Hubbard announced that she had perfect recall and could remember every moment of her life. Now think about that for a second. When members of the audience questioned her, she could not remember basic physics formulas nor the color of Hubbard's necktie, which she had just seen moments before people began leaving the auditorium as they threw more taunting questions at this poor lady. So Hubbard quickly explained that he had accidentally placed her in the now by calling her to come out now. You understand what what he's saying? That like when he was on stage and called her out from behind the curtain, come out here, Bianca, that when he said come out now, that that triggered something in her mind that erased erased her ability to, to, to recall all that. Therefore, Hubbard reasoned, she could only remember the present now and nothing past. No reporters seemed convinced of his explanation, and on that note, the Bianca debacle ended, and that's where they were in, the, um, in that. So I don't know how many people that holds, but suppose that place was packed out. And that should be it, yep, that's it. So, um, that's it for Scientology, my friend. I mean, that's not it for Scientology. We'll probably have one more session. We'll get into their, we'll get into their theology uh, next Wednesday night, what they actually believe about Jesus and some other things is probably about, but we should definitely be able to finish up uh, n- next Wednesday on Scientology. Uh, then after that, I want, those of you that got books you know, and you know all the chapters, I want y'all to pick which one you want to do next. And I was thinking we would maybe do one or two more, and then we're going to try to figure out where we're going to go um, you know, be, beyond, beyond Kingdom of the Cults, okay? I try to like, give, y'all a, give y'all some input in that, you know, unless you want to have ice cream every Wednesday or something. We can't do that. That, or maybe we can. Yes, sir. Yeah. In that community, think about Hollywood or whatever that is. It's still that lack of opportunity to hear the truth, and I I think that's where people are wanting something to grab a hold on. Yep. And that's where all this stuff comes I, I from. I could not they're agree more of that. They're not getting the truth, but they're searching. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's kind of a, a failure. To a degree? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got churches in California, but not nearly as many as we need. Um, we, we need way more churches in the, in the West. Uh, you know, the Bible Belt is here and kind of like up kind of through the middle and out like that. It's kind of where all the churches are. Extreme, the extreme coast and the extreme coast, just not me there. Oh, yes. Blinds the eyes of the unbelievers, yep. Yep, and then we eat cotton candy instead of the real word. Well, thank y'all for your attention tonight. Uh, that concludes the first session of Scientology. Um, I don't think there's anything between now and Sunday, is there? No. Now, so the next thing we'll have is uh, Sunday morning worship. Sunday school and Sunday morning worship. Y'all enjoying your new Sunday school classes? Got a lot more elbow room in there, don't you? It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's, it's the, the new addition has completely changed the feel of the church. It's, it's, uh, it's really amazing. I mean, I, I, you know you think about a new building. It's just a building. But when you drive along the road, the building looks complete instead of like, you know, like it's been chopped off at the waist. I mean, it's got, actually got a complete building, and it looks great. Um, it looks big. I mean, the church looks big all of a sudden. You know, it's really nice. So we're, we're enjoying it, loving it. A few more extra steps back there, and, you know, back and forth, though. A few more extra steps, so maybe work on this good a little bit. But um, any, any other last word before we're dismissed? Okay, if y'all stand up, I'll pray, and we'll be dismissed. And don't forget the announcements. We did all that and the prayer requests before, uh, before we started the study. So just to be sure, I got them all out in time. Father, thank you so much um, for your love for us, Lord, and, and uh, for Brother Walter that, that wrote, this, uh, wrote this book so that we could be informed as to all of these, these false religions and cults that uh, captivate people's minds uh, so that when we hear of them and meet people that may have been uh, struck by them, that we can teach them the truth of your of your Son, and that they would be freed and uh, free indeed, and because the truth sets us free. Father, I thank you for um, the attentiveness of the congregation tonight, and for hanging in there with uh, with this with this study. And Father, I pray for uh, for the events that we have coming over the next several weeks, uh, the women's retreat, uh, the men's breakfast. Uh, the Experiencing God Study, just everything, Lord, that you're, that you're doing, all the building activities that, that, we, uh, that we have in the coming weeks. I thank you so much for the completion of this building, Lord. You have been so gracious, and you have helped us so much um, by providing us everything we needed to, to bring this to completion. And Father, I pray that you help us to use, it, to use this building to your glory and to take your name to all the nations and to equip the saints for works of service. Father, we've had many names tonight that we mentioned uh, that are in hospitals and just different illnesses, Lord, just in in families everywhere. And Lord, we know that you are the great physician. We know that you are the eternal healer. And Father, we ask your blessings and your healing upon all of them, Lord, and and, and use us to your will. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. All right, you're dismissed. Y'all have a good night. See you Sunday, Lord willing.